Welcome to the Invincible Innovation Show, the podcast for changemakers. Each week, I talk to the most fascinating entrepreneurs and innovation leaders about innovation, strategy, and design. Hey, everyone. Today, we'll talk about building resilient organization. Welcome to Invincible Innovation Live Show. I'm so glad that you're here. I'm Adima Zorkaria, innovation and value creation expert, and I'll be your host. And I have a very special guest. Hi, Rocky. Hey, Adi. Hey. Rocky Ozaki is the founder and CEO of The Now of Work. It's going to be like really interesting, that's for sure. We're live on LinkedIn, YouTube, and Facebook, and you're much invited to join the discussion and ask questions, and we'd love to hear what you think. So let's start. It seems that all companies need to innovate. What are the biggest obstacles to innovation? Okay, well, jumping right into it. <laughs> yeah, I always start with a very like, wide question, and then we just yeah. go in. Well, I agree. It's really wide. It's broad because I, the key word there I think you used is all. Uh, and some people might be surprised by this, but I actually think every organization needs to innovate. And it's really a matter of a degree, right? Like some organizations are very mature. Some are just learning. So when I hear the question, where are the biggest obstacles? I think what I would do is I would hone in on like my answer to the 90% of companies out there that are just beginning sort of their innovation journey or, or you know, uh, thinking about it. And my experience is adding, number one, the biggest impediment is executive buy-in. And so I think, and I've heard you use the same language, innovation theater. You know, we have a lot of, a lot of companies and their leaders saying, oh, we innovate, it's important, but when will they actually make it a priority? And for me, if it's not part of the strategy, if the board is not talking about it, if it's not in a measurable outcome in your annual plan, uh, then you're just sort of talking about it. And so I think, number one, you've got to get the executive uh, buy-in. And that's everything from what's your risk tolerance, what's your outcome, et cetera. I think the other piece is around frameworks. And so because this is what we do and we see it so often is so you get executive endorsement and you're excited about innovation. And then a lot of companies just start making it up. Like, like there's so much content out there, Addy, like what you do and what I do. And there's so much like, why wouldn't you draw from that? And I see so many companies trying to reinvent the wheel. And of course, the challenge to that is number one, it's going to slow you down. And, and as much as I love learning, I love that. But the pace is so fast that you need to capitalize on what's out there. So whether that's design thinking or hackathons or ecosystem collaborations or, uh, you know, innovation horizons, all that content's out there. And so why wouldn't you start with you know, dabbling with what already exists. Um, and I think that's important too, because innovation, um, I'd be interested to hear what you think about this, but I think innovation is like an inertia. If you get early wins, then you're more likely to keep going. But when you get frustrated and you don't get wins, then you start to like a bad habit. So frameworks help that. And I think the last thing, I mean, there's so many things, right, Addy, but I started thinking about what top yeah. Like, okay, the third thing probably in my experiences anyway is... Uh, unrealistic expectations. So when you talk about impediments or obstacles, we, I see some companies who their expectations are so high. It's like, okay, we're going to start innovating. We're going to create a lab or we're going to invest some money or whatever it is. And all of a sudden they expect the team to go out in the first quarter and have some profound innovation uh, mapped yeah. out. That's going to change the whole business. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Right. It's just not always realistic. And on the other hand, some of the expectations are too slow or too low. Right, like how many companies through through COVID now think they're agile and now think they're innovative because they went remote in two weeks and they thought it would take two years. Yeah. 
right? Yeah, so, they think it's so, like this is what makes us innovative because we we just adjusted to what is. Exactly. And so if you're comparing yourself to what you were like a year or two ago, that's not the right comparison. And so yeah. I think every company um, you know, needs to really think about where they're benchmarking in innovation in my mind. Yeah, I think that what you said about um, you know, the C-level and the board and all the people from the top, they're, they're just asking from all of the people down be below them, you should be innovative. But what about you? When is the last time that you did something different than your usual like path in, in career, the, the way that you're doing decisions, the way that you're doing what you're doing? They're usually like expecting it to happen somehow in a magical way that something that was grown like half a year ago or a year ago would be any kind of competition to what you're doing for 15 years. Yeah. It doesn't match up. It doesn't make sense, right? Okay. So it's, no. And, and to grow this within an organization that is working in, in a separate kind of mode or thinking, you need to unlearn some of the things that you've done till now, which okay. is really hard. Yeah. Yeah. It's really hard. <laughs> yeah. So, so when we're going into what you call the now of work, I know that you're uh, uh, describing it as like, How is calm, clarity, confidence, compassion, creativity, how are all of these important for an organization that is striving to innovate? Yeah, so Adi, so first of all, thank you for like, the fact that you looked and, and understand what we do is so amazing and I love the question. Mm -hmm. So we love the letter C. Yeah, I, I said like it's great that they are all in C. That it's it's good for you for when you remember what you're doing. Yeah, and, and <laughs> be honest, we use the C's as well in our lifelong learning model. But what how what people need to learn? It's all around the letter C too. But that'll be another another uh, conversation we have. Yeah. Um, but if you follow that sort of the path of these, right? So we've actually like. You know how you just said it's hard, like the board has to change the way they think and the executives have to walk the walk and you can't just talk. So if our business is about transforming organizations and building resilient future-proof ones, we better walk the walk. And so early on in our business, what we did was we got we built the empathy and that's so what we talk about human-centered design. And so we talked to the executives. We talked to CEOs around North America at least. And we really unearthed what are they feeling and thinking and acting and saying as they're going through these transitions. This was before COVID, right? You and I know this exponential world has been going on for a long time. Of course. Right? And so anyway, what, what did we find out? Well, the number one thing that we found out, and now this accelerated through COVID, by the way. But the first thing we found was this idea of calm. When you really got to know these CEOs in person and intimately, they admit that this was the first time, now I'm talking through COVID, where they started to, to under, not underestimate, they start to, to wonder, do they have the capabilities? They start, they're saying, I'm feeling really alone. Um, the first time I felt ill-equipped to lead a company. And so there was so much happening. And now you're dumping on not just a pandemic, but you're dumping on all these exponential technologies right now. And the whole, the executive is saying is like, I should know what these terms are. I should have a better gauge. So. Okay, so let me just get to the why we, how these play in. Number one is, in our view, if you're going to go through massive transformation or even incremental, you've got to start with a place of calm. 
And so what we do is we'll help organizations demystify terms they think they know, but they really don't. Like the classic one today is NFTs. You know, everyone's talking about NFTs and I pull into boardrooms and they're talking NFTs. And all I have to do is ask one question, like, what does NFT really mean? And how is that going to affect your business? And so everyone's like, well, I don't know. Is it, isn't it sports cards? Like they are sports play. Like they actually don't know. So the calm starts with this is that if we can go into organizations and help the CEOs and executives feel more confident about the world that we're living in and where it's going, that's the first step in the transformation game. And so to us, again, human-centered design says, let's make sure we're coming from a calm place. So once we've got that done, then we move to confidence. And so if you can get to that point where people are feeling a little bit less stressed, help them to map out what this journey looks like, that the capabilities Addy, I don't know what your views on this, but my view is actually most companies have the capabilities or at least the core capabilities. They're just not using it properly. They're not upskilling, but some, they've got good talent. So we have to give them confidence that, yes, you can win. You're not alone. Here is a roadmap for us and how we're going to help you transform so you can feel confident in your future. Yeah. And so when we get to that confidence stage, then it gets to the compassion side. So here's the big thing around human centricity. We see so many companies just going, they're, they're rolling out technologies and they're doing this and they're doing that. And they're sometimes forgetting about their people. So when we say you're going through transformation, particularly through COVID, is it anchored on solving the problems that your customers need solving and that your team members need you to be? And that's the compassion piece for the people and your stakeholders. So then, and then, and so I'll, I'll get to the four C's and I'll pause so you can, so you can yeah. challenge me on some of that. And so once we get through compassion, so human-centered design, then we get to the fun part, which is creativity. And this is all around innovation. So we've gotten to the point of where you're going to invest, you've bought in. And so now, how are you going to win? It's challenging your old assumptions. It's about, you know, unlocking and democratizing innovations throughout your organization and, and just doing new things, learning how to truly experiment. Like that's the creativity side. A like I said, challenging old assumptions, one of the greatest things you can do once you've got the confidence and compassion and that beacon for where you're going to. So we weave in these C's throughout our whole journey with organizations. So when you're one of the, so confidence, clarity, creativity really was Okay, obvious for me in that aspect, but compassion was not. Because mm. I think that compassion is, is a very mature and complex feeling. And most people will not think about business and compassion in one sentence. So I, like, I know if you would say empathy, but compassion is much deeper than empathy. You need to really feel that. Yeah. And, and, and I'm, of course, speaking and I don't know if the audience knows this, but, you know, you're in Israel and I'm in North America. And, and so this is one of the beautiful things about collaborating and stuff and sharing ideas. Well, I can tell you from a context of North America, at least because this is where I am, is that if the word compassion feels strong, maybe it is. But I can tell you what the trends are right now. The most important thing on the CEO's mind is the employee well-being. And it is not just about, we used to be, you know, workplace well-being. This is about financial and emotional and, and, and psychological, like the amount of mental health challenges that we're going to have coming out of this pandemic could be quite high. Uh, even relationships, because we're not seeing each other as much as we did. Like this is, this is deep, like you said. Uh, and then the second piece is, is and, 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 and Addy, I'm going to be honest with you, right? Like empathy is probably the word we use, would have used, but it doesn't start with a C. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, that's a good, good, good solution. But if you look but, at the term, like of what compassion is, like, yeah, of course, what the world is missing. I think that I think that COVID made us understand how human we are and yeah. how connected we are. And I, I love the fact that what you're saying is like it's not the fact that they will be like. Uh, will work harder and they will collaborate better and they'll have the same results as before COVID. What you're describing is really understanding who is working for you and who is the employee that you need to, to, to just to make him connected to the other people around him. Yeah. And right now, everybody's so like, in, you know, in, in the past, we talked about silos between business units and now we're a siloed between entities and people within these units so it's much harder yeah. and the implications is is so you know everybody feels that i would say so it really makes sense the compassion would be part of what we're talking about even if it's not uh, doing well for the planet or uh, doing like uh, giving money to charity or thinking about people who are misfortunate i think that compassion is is something that's for me as a person is, is something that I think that as a kid was not really obvious. Just yeah. when I grew up, I understood the, the impact of what is compassion to what you're doing to everyone around you. I, I think so. That's why this word really resonated with me. And, and I'm so happy that CEOs are thinking about it because when you're thinking about CEOs, the first thing that would come to my mind is keeping the company, the company, Uh, uh, flourishing and uh, successful, making as much money as before. Uh, how can we leverage this change to make more money? So forth. So uh, I'm, I'm very happy to hear about that, what you're saying, right? <laughs> yeah. And I, and I take it to a broader level. Like the, the company, we, we called it the now of work. Why? Because we've been talking about this future of work for so long and the future is now. Well, when you start to unpack it, Addy, like this, now we get a little more philosophical. Well, I don't know if it's philosophical, but let's look back 50, 60, 100 years even. We were in the industrial age. And like you said, what was the goal in life? Well, maybe not in life, but the goals were shareholder value. Right. Like that's what would drive the organization. And it brought some great things. Globalization, the supply chain chains like this was some good things as we were evolving as a global economy and as people. Well, the sad part is, is that now in that in that context, people started to say, okay, so now what is success is my title is my compensation is my pension like all these things that were material. So when you say so now, you, you know, it's starting to compassion, whether that was something you grew up with or not. My view is this, is that it was always inside of us. But as we went through this evolution of the industrial age mindset, Monday to Friday, nine to five, create widgets, create a title, make as much money as you can, we lost sight of who we are. And so I think what COVID has done is we call this habit discontinuity. It's like, let's, this profound event has happened worldwide. We've stopped to start to think, wait a minute, is it working the way it used to? And we never had that push before. So I'm not naive. I know that not every board out there and, and other shareholders saying it's all about inflation and we've got to make more money, more money. I am not naive to know that's still true, but I think it's going to make a shift. And I think it's going to be a bottom-up societal shift where we're going to really challenge those old industrial age mindsets and say, wait a minute, inside of us is compassion. Inside of us is this need to be social and get along and have, you know, have our communities, et cetera, that we're starting to be lost. Yeah, I totally agree. 
So I want to just show you that David is enjoying our discussion. Thank you, David Wasserman. Thank you for joining us. And, and one more thing I want to talk to you is, is like, how is the change in work in general gonna, it's, it's just accelerated through COVID. The yeah. fact that um, your employees working less for each company, so they're changing all the time. The fact they are less obligated to work with you for a long time or go from role to role within the company. Many of them just leave to a better company if they feel like it. Yep. And, and the connection between what was the employer or the company and this employee was much tighter in the past. And yep. we see more people moving faster, going to be self-employed, going to be freelancers. My, many, many of the like, gig economy is changing, right? So how do you see that impacting and even much more right now with COVID and, and how will organization handle it? So everything you suggested, I, 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 or you, you just said, I think probably going to stick to some, to, to a great, to a pretty great degree, actually. And it goes back again to that old industrial age. Why did we stay with companies so long? Because we had a pension attached to it, or we were, we were about security or that the world didn't change very fast. So we could have that same job for 30 years and retire. Well, that's just not the world we live in. At some point, the world has to be awoken to that. J jumping job wasn't a millennial thing. This is about many generations saying, I want experiences, right? And why would I get stuck with one? Which is like, it's like, do you marry the first person you meet? Like much of the world doesn't believe that, not all. But anyway, when I think of COVID, there's a couple of things that are going to happen. The hybrid and, and, and contingent workforce and, and distributed workforce is here to stay. It's like we're in a digital knowledge economy. Why would you limit yourself to people who can come into the office? Like you, you just wouldn't do that. So that here, here to stay. What's interesting though, is that I don't think the office is dead. I think the office is going to be reimagined. We've done a lot of surveys in, in studies in North America and in Europe starting to, and we're starting to see that the average employee who used to be in the office five days a week now only wants to come back in North America to two to 2.5. In Europe, it's four, which is, I don't know, it's some thing in Europe, people like to get together more, but this is what the early yeah. thing. But in, at least in North America, what we're seeing is that the office is not going to go away. It may shrink by up to 20%, but what it's going to be, it's going to be an intention, like a social place, a place where we come for collaboration, for innovation, which is what I get so excited about and what you and I both do, having those serendipitous collisions that you have to have to be an innovative company. So you're going to see the office, I think, change to have much more space for intentional collaboration, innovation, et cetera. I think you're going to see technology, obviously, continue to be coming down and be uh, enable organizations in this COVID world. And then, I mean, I could go on adding, I literally could go on for days. They so just cut me off. But I think the employee experience has now been redefined. It, whether you use the word empathy or compassion, whatever it is, if you challenge these assumptions, you talk, I think a couple of times you talked about how long we work. These days in my mind of 50, 60, 70 hour work weeks are dead. It was never about punching in and punching out how long you work. It's what are you getting done? The four day work week to me is going to, is going to start to thrive more and more. It's about what you do and how you do it, not where or when you do it. And so that whole employee experience is going to change. Because we're realizing that when I'm in the office nine to five, I'm probably only working five hours that day anyway, as my mind, I gotta, you know, anyway, I, I, I'll pause there. But I think how we work in a more agile way is going to be a big part of this new world. Yeah, I think that one more very, like the thing that comes to my mind is the options for people who were, maybe it was harder for them to work this way, like 
working moms, people with disabilities, people who find it hard to work so many hours for like, it's like endless. And, and now they have the possibility to join this um, collaboration of minds and do more with their capabilities that in the past they were less able to do that. So yeah, it's like well, just beginning. What are the two words we always use in innovation or in, in modern companies? Well, there's many, but two big ones are hyper like personalization and democratization. So number one, that, of course, that what that means to your products and services you deliver to your customers. But when you start thinking about your workplace, how are you personalizing that experience to the nuances of different people? Not everyone works well in the morning or in the evening or with groups. So if we can personalize it to them, they're going to be happier, more productive. And then I love what you said about now mm -hmm. democratization. So those, whether it's stay-at-home moms or people with disabilities or people who work in rural communities, now we've democratized access to their knowledge. Now they don't have to come out to the office because they physically can't or they have people holding that back at home. That democratization is part of this new digital knowledge economy that is going to bring so much uh, abundance, I think, to people that didn't have it before. So what do you think is the most important aspect of, of the innovation culture and the, the workplace for leadership and, and in order to really do what, what they're planning to do and they're just trying to, to, to not miss the opportunities, right? Yeah, yeah, so this is what every, again, I go back to the, I'm gonna answer this based on the 90% of companies who mm -hmm. are just starting. I think that don't underestimate, like there's not one important thing, but I think number one, don't underestimate the why. Like, why are we doing this? And, and let me just story tell you really quickly, as you and I know, because we play with exponential technologies. Well, once the world starts understanding what impact, not just blockchain and 3D printing and spatial computing, and you can start getting into quantum, all these things. Once they realize actually, like automation, what that's going to do to jobs, people will start fearing they're going to lose their job. And really- They, they already do. And they already do, right? And it's yeah. only to accelerate. And so what we know is that when people feel that, that loss, and some people even lose hope, I'll never have a job again, really, really bad things that history tells us happens when people lose hope. And so one of the starting points, I don't want to get too philosophical, but I'll be more pragmatic in a second, but I really don't think you can underestimate telling the why and the story of where you're going. Because most of these people, I believe, will be either redeployed or they're going to be reskilled or upskilled to have new jobs, just different jobs. And so if you don't tell that story, you're just telling the story about is if we're going to innovate, the world's moving so fast, we've got to automate, blah, blah, blah. You're going to get a disconnect throughout your organization, possibly. So I, I think that's a big thing, right? So some of the other important things is like make sure, talk about compassion, human-centered, look at your people right? Lead them and teach them and guide them, invest in them, communicate with them ongoing through this journey, I think is so powerful. Measuring what matters. I think there's so much vanity metrics out there today about what is innovation and what is agile and that is you really got to distill down what you're measuring for success. Otherwise, you're going out, you could be going after the wrong things. Um, but I think that there's so many aspects. I, I think the big thing, which I, you know, we'll get to later, maybe is that, um, innovation's not going to happen because you preach at the top to be innovative. I mean, we started that with the beginning. Innovation's about creating a culture, democratizing innovation, spreading it across your organization. I think that too often companies think, let's put it in the strategy and we'll be innovative. Yeah. 
Yeah, we, we, I think that the, the way that is seen is, is very much like a new venture within what you're doing right now in the same processes in the same way of thinking. We're just, it's, it's just another department, I would say. And it's not something that is holistic in that sense. And therefore, sometimes you see that their expectations is like, like, like we did this or that, we're going to do another thing. And it doesn't work this way. No. They need to be more involved. And I think that this is the main reason that they are finding it really difficult. Because after all, when you're talking about change in general, people don't like change. And they don't like to change. And, and what it brings is usually the unknown, the fear of the unknown. And it's very, very hard for people to do in general. It doesn't have to be in the business. It doesn't have to be in the old company. It, it, it needs to be like even in their own lives. Change is hard. So let me dig, like, dig into that then. If change is hard, which we all agree it is, and we're now living in the fastest time in the history of, 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 of our world, like it's exponential growth. Is there not a problem there? Potentially. Yes. So when I talk about democratization, I'm not just using the term democratization because it's fancy. Let's just really unpack that. Here's the difference. At organization A, leadership says, we need to innovate. We create a lab. We're going to adopt technologies, blah, blah, blah. That's, that's number A. And then change happens. And the rest of the organization says, oh, my gosh, I lost my job. What are we doing? Oh, my gosh, I'm stressed. Am I okay, that's, that's a little different than organization B. What if you played the game where you said, here's why? like I described before, here's a journey that we're going on and you're all on it with us. And so we're doing ideations and hackathons throughout the organization. We're breaking down the silos. Like there's so many best practices around innovation that go beyond a lab and ecosystem collaborations, right? You can actually go in and start getting, breaking down these silos that you talk about, solve problems together, introduce. I'm a big fan of introducing exponential technologies in a very non-intrusive way to team, just so they can see and touch like VR or, or 3D printing. Why does that matter, Addy? Because when the change happens, and we know it's going to happen faster than they think, mm -hmm. that you've already socialized it in your organization. They said they're not surprised by the spatial computing because they played with it as part of a team event a month ago or a year ago. They're not surprised that some jobs are lost because actually they helped to co-design that new future in a hackathon together, so they embraced it. And the more you can get your whole organization, not just speaking the language, but actually innovating, experimenting, learning to fail and learn like from it, that's when the change happens, the big change, they're ready for it. That's what I mean about democratizing ideas. Well, actually, number one, your best ideas are not coming from executives anyway. They're coming from your front line. People actually work with customers. They're coming yeah. up with best innovation. So that's why democratizing works. Everyone is creative if you give them a chance. But it's, it's just as much about letting everyone play and understand how the world is moving so that when it happens, they're more ready for it. Yeah, it's, it's more a, a way of thinking like in the whole organization in, in something which is more general than just a unit or a department of something which is very specific. And the fact that you're opening your, your employees to things that might not look relevant Maybe they are, maybe they are not. They're just opening the mind of what could be. And, and currently, it's like the opposite of what currently you expect them to only think about their role in their position and do very something very narrow. Before we continue, I want to say thank you to Eric. He's, he, he loves your idea of why. Absolutely agree about sharing your why. It adds to greater transparency and mitigates friction. 
which is yeah. really important. I think you know, that the, mind, sorry, Addy, go ahead. No, no, you, you, you can continue. Well, you said about mindset, right? So a lot of us are talking still about the growth mindset. It's real. Like, and, and, and so like when you're transforming your business, we use two languages. Number one, you've got to change the mindset of your organization and create new muscles or new muscle memory, right? Like if you think of an athlete, if you throw the ball 10,000 times, then your, your body just knows how to throw the, how to throw the ball. This is what we're going through today. We are fundamentally changing the mindset and muscle memory of an organization. If we go back 10 years ago, Addy, you remember a lot of these larger organizations who had the balance sheet, the dollars to create the innovation labs. What was the push? What was the, the feedback? In a lot, in most of them, I would argue, the feedback was number one: we couldn't replicate the startup mindset and culture, and so they ended up just building stuff that not at the pace at which a true startup who was scrappy and who actually didn't have money behind them had to do. And the second thing was, even if they were successful, they created the mindset with only within that lab. And the broader organization said, well, what about the rest of the organization? We're no different than we were five years ago. It was only the lab. So I'm not saying labs are dead. I'm saying that the learning was you can't isolate, as you said, mindset shifting and new muscles to one portion of the organization. How do you bring it everywhere? And this is what our, what our company does. Yeah. You know, like when you said that, it makes, it makes sense to, to me to think about like it's like an organization, like every everything is is dependent on everything so you cannot just one one section say okay you're doing exactly everything as you've done like for 10 15 years and there is like very very small portion of of doing things differently because if we really want to succeed and maybe one of these start of the the lab startups was very very good how would they incorporate their ideas and really grow from the whole system, which is the whole organization, if, if they, they collide when they meet. Let's say they did something and it was very good. Would it, would it grow? And most of the time the answer would be no, because they don't have the capacity to join forces with this bigger organization and really grow from it. So right. everybody needs to understand the growth mindset. And I think that what's good with, with the, the, the concept of growth mindset is understanding it's always changing. It's always growing. It's not like you got to a certain like level or now that you're a manager, now you're a C-level. That's it. I came to the place. Now I can rest. Now I just need to do my job. That's it. Yeah, like we're lifelong learners. Like that's the we're at the, the world's moving way too fast, and that's the urgency around innovation, right? Is that uh, you know, twenty years ago you could say, "Let's okay, I get this. Let's start dabbling." We don't have time. And I don't mean that to scare you know, people listening. What I'm saying is that if the world is moving this fast, we have to immediately, starting now, start to transform the mindset and muscle memory of our organizations because the world's moving too fast. We have to embrace, like you said, growth mindset and lifelong learning. We're all going to be lifelong learners. I, I think that it could be scary, but on the other side, when you think about it, people have so much talents and mm -hmm. they have so many capacities that, that in, and they are not using these strengths in their work. So if you could utilize all, all of these in, in order to grow yourself within the organization and grow the organization, it's like... Yes. This is, again, going back why I keep going back to the old industrial age mindset of command and control. I'm the boss. I know best. I've worked here long as I tell you what to do. Those days are so gone. Like people, if... You just have to dab. All you got to do is a few ideation sessions or, you know, we call these non-technical hackathons, whatever it is. If you truly embrace this and allow anyone in your organization to be innovative, 
you will be blown away by what they come up with. Every person has creative, every person in this world. It's just you have to unlock it. And the best companies are the ones that unlock it throughout their whole organization. Yeah. So we have a question, which is like challenging, I guess. Anna asks you, what is your definition of innovation? Oh, so Anna, that's a good question. You know, I've been actually challenging Thanks, myself with this question myself for some time. Let me answer it in this way. I think what innovation is not is necessarily a fundamental shift in the way you do things. Right? We, some, we use language like incremental innovation. So in theory, innovation is doing something new that adds value to your stakeholders. Like that would be my short answer. Like it's got to be new. And if it doesn't offer value, it's not innovative. Where I digress a bit, Anna, I think her name was, is that we got to think about innovation. Quite often we think it's, you know, big, <clears throat> big changes. And I think that every company should have moonshots. You know, at least 10% of their innovation capacity going through moonshots, no expectation of ROI. But there's also nothing wrong for the 90% of companies out there who we call fast followers who are making constant incremental innovation. Why? Because if we're talking about changing a mindset and creating new muscles, then isn't it better to have your entire organization, entire, like 80% of it, that much, constantly improving? That idea of Kaizen, constant improvement, constantly trying new things, experimenting and failing and bringing new value to your stakeholders? I think the answer is yes. So the answer, I, I get, like I said, the definition I use is something new that out offers value, but don't think it has to be some profound innovation. I think incremental innovation is a good strategy for many, for yeah. most. Thanks, Anna, for your question. And I think that I would just add something to it is understanding change. As I see it, innovation is understanding as a human being, as an organization, as a company, just understanding that everything is moving all the time. It's moving and, and you cannot do anything. You cannot just resist it because you're, you're not controlling what's going on in your competitors, in the world around you, in technology, with people mind. With, and we feel it much more right now. Like in the past, we should have just explained what, what change is. And within COVID, we don't need to, to, to explain anything. Like everybody understands that... This is like how the, the things could change without mm -hmm. even thinking about it. So you need to, uh, sometimes they say embrace change, but I think it's really hard to embrace something that you're trying to resist, but really understand it and see what could be done within this context. And, yeah. and I think that many organizations are doing the other way around, trying to, like there is this, uh, <laughs> I, I wrote a book, Innovating Through Chaos, and I'm talking about uh, chaos in, in general is, is something which is unfamiliar. And there is this quote, when windows change co uh, come, some people build walls and some people will build windmills. So just understanding that you, you need to be this way and to understand the way that you're operating in the world as a human being. You, you can resist change, but you will lose. That, that's I, love that. I would call that the, uh, the definition of an innovative mindset versus what innovation is. But I agree. I 100% agree. Uh, there are There are multiple camps here. Some people choose this path, some, whoops, some that path. But um, yeah, I love that definition. So how do you think that companies could innovate better during these unknown times? So okay. you said it's not, it's not doing Zoom. So what is it? <laughs> it's no, it's not. It's true. Say it. It's not, you're not innovative because you're using Zoom and because you went remote working and you did a hackathon. Like, like that doesn't mean it, right? But I think, you know, when you think about what 
you use the word and chaos, like maybe that's a strong word through COVID, but it is chaos for many. You know, honestly, uh, Annie, I think one of the simplest things I would say to your audience is you have to start now. Like you say, what, how, what can we do better? Well, how about start? Like, like, I really believe this. We do a lot of work. Uh, we speak a lot. We consult. We get a lot of impact. And when we get into companies, the truth is uh, most companies aren't innovating. And so let's even just start there. Let's call the elephant out in the room today. Stop thinking you're innovative because you adopted Slack or you now know how to do Zoom breakouts or what all those things that we joke about. That's not innovation. So go out and, you know, learn. Like I, we talked about lifelong learning. Like, are you listening to Addy's podcast and, and blogs and reading blogs? Like get yourself up to speed on the language. Like it's a really important starting point and start to actually integrate with your ecosystem. What problems can we solve together? Start creating, building it into your, into your strategy, uh, talking about it with your board. Like these things might sound obvious, but in my experiences, Addy, at least in North America, it's mostly either not happening or it's innovation theater, as we keep coming back to. Right. So, you know, use the frameworks, just get started. Um, that, that's actually my biggest is, is do a self-reflection. Yeah, yeah. We, talk, we talked about cultures in, in the middle of, of our talk. And I think that what makes Israel, at least as I see it, most innovative is that people are, are doers. They are really go-getters. They're doing things. They fail a lot. It's not like everything they're doing is a success, but you learn as you go. You cannot learn from just sitting and thinking, and it's not enough. And because I come from design, you know, designers, they, they want to see results. They, they are thinking a lot, but in the end, something needs to, to, to really, how, how is it called? When the uh, wheels hit the road, something like that. When the rubber hits the road. Yeah, the rubber. So yeah. it, it's the same thing. It needs to happen. You cannot just discuss about it, think about it and discuss it and think. It's, it's great to think, but you know, like I, I heard a, a really good um, talk about innovation and he gave an example that in general, um, I think that it takes two years for a company to react to disruption in their, uh, um, in their field. Okay, it's two years until they react, a big company. And in two years, you know, like uh, uh, what happened with, with the Uber is like they had like uh, two million uh, um, drives a week, more or less. So it's, it's like two years is, is so long just to do something yeah. you need to do and then see what, what comes up, what you learn from it. Maybe you failed, but what you learn from failing and doing more instead of like this, the strategy thing is, is great, but you need to do it faster. And you know what, what's hard, Addy, though, is context, right? So you talk about Israel. Like, it, it's true. Like, the whole area, that region has just always been known for many things, right? Like, with all re due respect, like, you're very candid. Like, you, you speak your mind. You're okay with dissenting. You've been naturally an entrepreneurial environment. Whether that's a lot of it, I think, is anchored on sort of like that military, like, we're innovating, etc. But that's part of who you are. Okay, so let's take that analogy over to the enterprise world. The corporation, the large corporation that's been winning for the last, you know, decades is like the other countries and Israel is like the startup. So these other countries can't just look at Israel and say, oh, we need to be like them. They actually, you know, what you should be doing it, or if you could is go to Israel. And so what's the parallel? I, what I see so much success is taking a corporation like a legacy enterprise and actually spending a day or two inside of a scaling tech company. Look at how I mean, look at how they dress too. Look at their office, sure. But look, yeah. how do they work? 
How are they communicating? What pace are they working? Like two years in a startup or scale up tech companies? Like that's like a BHAG. Like I'm working in quarters and even two week sprints. And when you start to get inside these organizations, that's when the bigger enterprise says, oh, that's what you mean by pace. Oh, that's what good, that's what transparency is. And that's what collaboration is. And that's what, they have very little context. And so they've got it. So what you said about Israel is a great example. Israel is a startup scale up country of the world. And more people need to look inside, lift up the hood and look inside. How do they work? Because that's the future. Yeah. We, we could discuss, you know, it seems like for years, for me, it would be really, really nice. But we're almost done. And I have to ask you your number one tip for innovation leaders. My number one tip? Number one tip. Oh my gosh, what's my number one tip? So I, okay, so I have to be true to myself. What I say to my clients is the biggest thing you need to do is think organization-wide. And I know we've been saying it all day, but it's a fact. If you don't start with building a culture of innovators, then you are going to have a really, really hard time. So find out who those leaders are within your organization. Those ones who are super excited, we call them fanaticals, and, and get them as part of this journey and build a culture of innovation versus just top down. That's my number one suggestion for sure. It's, yeah. all, it's all anchored on culture. And uh, Eric is agreeing with you. Yep, got to immerse himself in the culture of the organization. So thank you, Eric. Like um, and we have one more question before we finish. Do you have an example of an enterprise with an innovative culture? Uh, do I have an example of an enterprise with an innovative culture? Uh, so I do. I mean, I don't know where this person lives, but uh, we did some work with a, a company in, in Ontario and in Toronto. Uh, they're called Almag. Mm -hmm. They're an aluminum uh, fabricating company, and they're quite large. I think they're the largest in, uh, in Canada. And they have baked innovation throughout their entire organization. Where they, they recently did uh, an event where, like, kind of like a, like a hackathon, where they were looking at new well, can I share this? Yeah, well, here, let me just tell you this, is that they came up, one of their great ideas, this is a big organization, and they were able to get some of the best ideas out of this event from their health and safety officer. So like, you think it came from the exec, he was there six weeks, I think he had been at the job, but they allowed him immediately to be part of the innovation journey, uh, to be, be able to go out there and, 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 and opine into things. And he came with an amazing idea, six weeks in the organization, in the health and safety department, and came up with one of the best ideas of innovation for the company for this event. So yes, it happens. I'm not sure if anyone knows of this company, mm -hmm. but there are some pretty good enterprise out there that are, that are quite innovative. Yeah. And I love the fact that you didn't say Amazon. So that's a, that's a good beginning. Um, so thank you for your time. Where could people hear more about you and contact you and, and ask more? Well, I'd love for you to uh, join me on LinkedIn, of course. Feel free to reach out and connect. But otherwise, um, we are updating as most people are. But just go to our website, thenowofwork.com. And uh, uh, yeah, love, love to hear from people. So I want to thank uh, Anna and Eric and David and everybody who asked questions. It's been very, I, I was very happy to hear what you're thinking and that you joined the discussion. And, and thank you, Rocky, for your time. It's been fascinating. I really enjoyed our talk. So thank you. Thank you very much, Hattie, for having me. Let's do it again sometime. I've got, a, I've got, a, I've got something to announce to you later on. So maybe we'll, we we'll show each other again. And if, you know, you said everybody should come to Israel. So you should show, like, as a leader to, to show 
how to do it and and I will be your uh, you'll be my guest so it's a good uh, beginning <laughs> of course and to all of you change makers out there thank you for joining me you're much invited to to visit invincibleinnovation.com and I'll see you next week with another insightful talk see ya I'm Adima Zaukario, and you've been listening to the Invincible Innovation Podcast. Make sure to visit our website, invincibleinnovation.com, where you can learn more about our programs and my book, Innovating Through Chaos. I'll be waiting for you next week in our next episode. Thank you for listening.